The Neverland Podcast, Episode 65. Welcome to Neverland! Take a start of the right and stay on till morning. Good day to you, Neverlanders. I am your host, the Spider Pan. Uh, yeah, I'm the Pan Jeremy, and I know I don't sound like myself. I'm quite a bit under the weather, so I'm not going to do a whole lot of talking. And we're going to do things a little differently this week. Uh, we're going to do kind of just a tribute episode to Leonard Nimoy. I have some great audio to share related to that for his role as Mr. Spock that we all know him as. How does this relate to Disney? Well, he actually did have a part in some Disney uh, movies, like Atlantis, uh, The Lost Empire, and also did some voices as Galactus in some Marvel cartoons. Uh, so he does have a Disney connection, and uh, I've got a lot of great audio to share with you, and uh, I'll keep it to that, and I won't talk. We won't have a lot of our usual shout-outs and news and things. Uh, suffice to say, I do want to tell you about our new shop at NeverlandPodcast.com. On the uh, far right side of the black bar at the top of the screen, you'll see where it says Shop, and we do have some T-shirts, mugs, and different things, a lot of different items that you can now purchase. And, of course, every purchase I do get like a, a buck or two that does help f- to cover the costs of the show. Uh, also, I wanted to tell you um, <clears throat> about Robert Downey Jr. Uh, he has made a special announcement that he uh, said it was something really cool coming. And the special announcement went something like this. Hi, honey bunnies. Quick question. Have you had the best night of your life ever on Earth yet? Well, you could. With me. For a good cause. Here's the deal. You donate $10 or more for a chance to win the RDJ experience. I correspondingly fly you and a friend out to LA, put you up in a four-star hotel, and proceed to awesome the crap out of you. I'm talking indoor skydiving, helicopter tour, maybe a pit stop at Randy's Donuts. After riding your sugar high all the way to a fitting for a tux or gown, we're gonna meet up for a little pre-premiere caviar. One of those could be in your mouth. Giggle, chat, take pictures, perhaps even engage in a battle of wits kidding or am i around about sunset we make a grand entrance at the venue you walk the red carpet and then you become one of the first people on earth to see avengers age of ultron even if you don't win you still get all kinds of swag depending on your donation level plus all proceeds go toward funding julia's house this place is amazing it's a hospice center for children with terminal illnesses it's a win-win go to omaze.com rdj for your chance to win that's o-m-a-z-e.com rdj lastly to make this entirely irresistible there's a button click on this give yourself a chance at a night you'll never forget but remember you don't have a chance at this unforgettable night if you don't sign up and donate I don't remember where the button is. I forgot. Don't be like me. Actually, be like me and sign up for this unforgettable night that won't happen if you don't remember. <laughs> and it wasn't bad that last take, but it was 16 and a half minutes. Um, are people going to appreciate that when you post it? All right, now if you didn't catch that link, I will put a copy of the link in the show notes and also on the website neverlandpodcast.com. Um, but now I'm not going to go and say our, all of our usual stuff we put at the beginning of the show because as you can tell, I sound awful. So let's just get with it. I'm going to play for you a quick scene from uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan that is kind of an iconic and kind of really fits uh, what... You know, you know the passing of Leonard Nimoy, and then of course <clears throat> I've got some audio from. You remember the old read-along books? You know, you used to have a tape or a record. You'd read along with the book. Well, I have the first four Star Trek movies. I have the audios. They're about ten to twelve minutes long each, and I'm going to play for you the audio of each one of those. And I hope you enjoy it, and you'll enjoy it a lot more than listening to my 
really awful voice right now, which luckily I at least have a voice to speak with because I have been rendered silent, unfortunately, most of the time. But uh, so that's pretty much what's coming. I'm going to play that, and uh, we'll go from there. And just don't forget to go check out our shop with all the new items. And if there's any particular kind of items that you think would be fun to have, like a tote bag or something like that, let me know because I can create a lot more items. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And don't forget to visit our Patreon links. All the links can be found at NeverlandPodcast.com. Just visit there to find everything you could possibly need. All right, here we go. Without me trying to talk any further, I'm just going to play the audio and enjoy. Spock! Ship! Out of danger? Yes. Don't grieve, Admiral. It's logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. This is the story of Star Trek, the motion picture. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the communicator beep like this. Let's begin now. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Far out in space, a mysterious giant cloud traveled silently toward a distant planet Earth. On its journey, it passed three Klingon warships on patrol. The Klingon captain hailed the cloud. You are violating Klingon territory. Respond or be destroyed. Receiving no reply, the ships fired. But the cloud easily deflected the bolts. In return, it fired a tremendous flash of energy at the ships, instantly disintegrating them. Admiral James T. Kirk, captain of the Starship Enterprise, was hurrying through Starfleet headquarters when he saw Sonak, a Vulcan member of his crew. Commander Sonak, why aren't you aboard? I am completing final briefing before the Enterprise launches. Belay that. Our launch time has been moved up. There's something deadly out there, headed for Earth. We have to stop it. Within hours, Admiral Kirk transported up to the Starship Enterprise. There was confusion everywhere. New weapons and engines were being installed, and the workers rushed to finish in time. Chief Engineer Scott gave Kirk a worried greeting. Admiral, these departure orders. We can't be ready to leave dry dock in only 12 hours. Mr. Scott, ready or not, we're going. We've got to. Scotty's men doubled their efforts. A few last crew members beamed up, including the ship's new navigator, Ilea, a Delton. Kirk greeted the unusual-looking woman. Welcome aboard, Lieutenant Ilea. I believe you've met our executive officer, Commander Decker. She smiled. Oh yes, Decker and I are old friends. Kirk called together his crew. An alien cloud is moving toward Earth at warp speed. It is destroying everything in its path. He was interrupted by an urgent transmission. This is Space Station Epsilon 9. The cloud is bearing down on us. We're scanning it. Oh no, they think our scans are hostile. We're under attack! Horrified, Kirk and his crew watched the view screen as the cloud disintegrated the helpless station. Meanwhile, on the planet Vulcan, Spock was undergoing the ritual of Kolinar, a harsh discipline which would give him total logic. 
he knelt before one of the Vulcan masters. You have labored long, Spock. Now your training is complete. Take this pendant, a symbol of total logic. But Spock hesitated. He looked skyward, as though listening. Wanting to know his reason for ignoring her, the Vulcan master entered mind meld with Spock. Your sense of far-off consciousness, it stirs your human half. And your human emotions keep you from the life of total logic. You have failed the test. The master turned from him and dropped the pendant in the dust. Spock knew that he'd have to go to the mind he sensed so far away. Kirk ordered the Enterprise to set out for the cloud. Decker protested. Captain, the engines haven't even been tested yet. Mr. Decker, every minute brings that thing closer to Earth. Head warp one, Mr. Sulu. Power poured into the untried engines. Suddenly, an energy imbalance threw the ship into a deadly whirlpool. A space vortex. Kirk shouted to Sulu. Get us out of here! Full reverse! Kirk glanced at the bridge view screen. There's an asteroid caught in the vortex. Dead ahead. Arm phasers, Mr. Chekhov. Decker leaped up. No! If the engines are out, so are the phasers. The new design links them. Use photon torpedoes! The torpedoes shot away and shattered the asteroid. The vortex disappeared. Thank you, Decker. You saved the ship. As Mr. Scott worked frantically to repair the engines, a shuttlecraft delivered a passenger to the Enterprise. To Kirk's surprise, it was Mr. Spock. I've been seeking a path to perfect logic, Captain. I sense that I'll find my answer in the cloud. I'm here to rejoin your crew. With the help of Spock's superior intellect, the engines were soon fixed, and the Enterprise sped to confront the alien cloud. The ship approached cautiously. But without warning, the cloud sent a deadly energy bolt smashing into their shields. They're holding, Captain, but they're badly damaged. Kirk spun to Lieutenant Uhura. We can't survive another hit. Send friendship messages on all channels. Uhura began transmitting. A second energy bolt flew at them and suddenly disappeared. Their message was understood. The Enterprise entered the cloud slowly. Once through the mist, the crew was stunned at what they saw. An enormous ship, almost 50 miles long at the center of the cloud. Spock, who could build such a ship? I don't know, Captain. All I sense is a mind with a pattern of perfect logic and tremendous knowledge. In a flash of blinding light, a pillar of pure energy invaded the bridge. It stretched out an arm to the main computer console. Spock scanned it with his tricorder. It is a probe from the alien ship, Captain. It's draining the memory banks of our computer, including top secret information. Leaping to the console, Spock smashed the controls with his fists. The computer shorted out with a flash. To Decker's horror, the probe took control of Lieutenant Ilea. The Ilea probe then turned to Kirk. I have taken over this human unit so we could communicate. I have been programmed by Vija to learn about the USS Enterprise and the human units that infest it. Kirk frowned. Is Vija the captain of the alien ship? No, Vija is the ship. Kirk couldn't believe his ears. What does Viger want? Viger travels to Earth to find his creator. What makes Viger think his creator is on Earth? I do not know. Viger obeys the creator's commands to learn all that is learnable and to bring that knowledge back to the creator. They were now only hours from Earth. Captain Kirk decided on a desperate gamble. He and Spock put on spacesuits and entered the alien ship itself. There, they found V'ger's data banks. Captain, from what we've seen, I believe that V'ger is a living machine. If so, 
I can attempt to mind meld with it. Spot touched the data modules. Instantly, a flood of images overwhelmed his mind. Oh. He fell unconscious. When Spock awoke in the ship's sick bay, he called for Kirk. The Vulcan masters were wrong, Jim. Logic isn't enough. Vidra knows perfect logic, but it's still unfulfilled, still incomplete. Spock grasped his friend's hand. This simple feeling, the warmth of friendship of human emotions, Vidra cannot find. But at last, I have. As Vidra approached the helpless Earth, it sent four huge bombs into orbit. Kirk snapped at Ilea. What is it doing? Vija radioed the Creator, but received no answer. The human units on Earth must be interfering with the Creator. Therefore, Vija is going to remove them. Remove? You mean destroy? Spock whispered to Kirk. Vija needs its Creator badly. Use that against it. Kirk smiled. Ilea, I'll tell Vija where the Creator is. But first, he must remove the bombs. Vija agrees. The Enterprise was pulled inside the giant spaceship. Kirk's landing party followed the Ilea probe out of the ship to their meeting with Vija. Kirk's eyes widened at the sight of Vija. Spock, it's a machine. An early space probe from Earth. Voyager, not Vija. Mr. Spock checked his tricorder. Readings indicate that Viger was found by a planet of living machines. They built this ship so that Viger could fulfill its programming to collect data and transmit it back to Earth. Decker nodded. Of course. That's why Viger came back here. To give its data to mankind, its creator. Kirk shouted. Viger! We are the creator! Ilea blinked skeptically. Then you must join with Viger. Spock's eyes lit with understanding. Fascinating. Vija's vast knowledge has reached the limits of the logical universe. In order to grow further, it requires the human ability to leap beyond logic. Vija knows he must evolve. That is why he must join with a human being. Deckard turned to Kirk. I'll do it. I love Ilea, and this is the only way I can be reunited with her. And it will be an incredible adventure. Jim, I want this as much as you want the Enterprise. Decker ran to Ilea. A powerful energy beam engulfed them as Decker slowly became part of Viger. Blinded by the brilliant transformation, the landing party raced back to the Enterprise. On the bridge, Kirk watched in awe as Viger changed itself into pure energy and vanished into another dimension. Gentlemen, I believe we've just seen the birth of a new life form. Bones nodded. Complete with a lot of foolish human emotions. Right, Mr. Spock? True, Doctor. But without them, we are not complete. Amen, Spock. Mr. Sulu, ahead warp one. Out there. That way. Are you a fan of DuckTales, Gargoyles, or Tailspin? Then boy, have I got a podcast for you. Hi, I'm Jason, host of DAF Radio. And I'm Matt, the co-host. Join us as we talk about these fan-favorite shows that you grew up with and meet the people that made them. Find us at DAFradio.net or in your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, enjoy the afternoon. This is the story of The Wrath of Khan. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the communicator beep like this. Let's begin now. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. A new crew was being trained on the Enterprise. The ship's new captain, Mr. Spock, asked Admiral James Kirk to observe the crew's first training flight. He greeted his old friend when he came aboard. How are you feeling, Admiral? Useless, Spock. I feel old and useless. I shouldn't be working behind a desk on Earth. 
I should be out here in space. Meanwhile, light years away, Commander Chekhov searched for a test site for an important scientific experiment codenamed Genesis. He and Captain Terrell of the Starship Reliant beamed down to investigate a lifeless desert planet. Chekhov saw something through the wind-blown sand. A ruined spaceship! What is it doing here? The two men entered the wreck through its airlock. Instantly, a muscular white-haired man seized Chekhov, Whoa! lifting him into the air with one hand. Chekhov's eyes bulged. It's Khan! Captain Terrell! He's a criminal! He once tried to steal the Enterprise! Khan smiled chillingly. Yes, and as punishment, Captain James T. Kirk marooned me and my people here 15 years ago. I've stayed alive all this time for one reason. I mean to avenge myself upon him. Khan Lord Chekhov. Why have you come to this planet? I'll never tell you. You'll tell me anything I want to know. Khan carefully removed two tiny, wiggling creatures from a sealed container. These are seti eels. When I put them in your ear, they will allow me to control your mind. Chekhov and Terrell shivered as Khan approached them with the squirming eels. Once Khan had control over their minds, he forced Terrell to give him command of the Reliant. Then he made Chekhov radio Dr. Carol Marcus, the scientist in charge of the Genesis Project. The planet has checked out, and we have new orders. We're coming to pick up the Genesis device for immediate testing. That can't be, Commander. Who gave the orders? Khan made Chekhov answer. Admiral James T. Kirk. Admiral Kirk inspected the Enterprise before she took off on her training flight. He smiled at the chief engineer. Is everything shipshape, Mr. Scott? Scotty patted the powerful engines lovingly. Aye, Admiral. She'll take anything you can throw at her, even trainees. Suddenly, the intercom blared. Urgent message for Admiral Kirk. Kirk dashed to his quarters and flicked on the view screen. It was Dr. Marcus. The message faded in and out, as if it were being jammed. Did you order the Reliant to take Genesis away from us? Then the picture went dead. Kirk called Sulu on the bridge. There's something wrong at the Genesis lab. Plot a course for regular one. As the starship leaped into warp drive, Kirk went to Captain Spock's quarters. Spock, there's trouble. Regulations require me to take command of the ship. I'm sorry, I know she's yours now, but... Spock raised an eyebrow. Don't apologize, old friend. Logically, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Besides, I have no feelings to hurt. As they neared Regular One, Spock reported. The Reliant is closing on us, Admiral. She won't respond to our communications. Suddenly, the Reliant's phasers blasted into the Enterprise's engine room. Kirk shouted into the intercom. Scotty, damage report! Admiral! The main power is out! The warp engines are wrecked! Whoever's on that ship knew just where to hit us! A face appeared on the bridge view screen. Kirk couldn't believe his eyes. It was Khan. Ah, Admiral. I see you still recognize me after all these years. What do you want, Khan? I want your life, Kirk. However... I'll spare your crew if your computer transmits all your data on the Genesis Project. Agreed. Kirk turned away from the screen with a secret smile. Spock whispered to Kirk, Admiral, you can't give him Genesis. I won't, Spock. I'll use our computer to lower his shield so we can fire back. Rapidly, Kirk programmed the computer, then turned to face Khan. Get ready to receive our transmission. The computer sent out its signal, and Reliant shields dropped. Fire phasers, Mr. Sulu. The blast exploded into Reliant. Heavily damaged, Khan's ship had to retreat into space, while the wounded Enterprise limped onwards towards the Genesis lab orbiting Regular One. 
Commander Uhura tried to contact the lab, but the only response was an eerie silence. Kirk made a decision. Khan's been there. I'm beaming down. Dr. McCoy, come with me. People may be hurt. Mr. Spock, the ship is yours. Once aboard the empty station, the landing party found Tyrell and Chekhov. Admiral, Khan controlled our minds, used us to trick you, but he didn't get the Genesis device. It was gone when he arrived. Kirk examined the lab's transporter. The controls are set for regular. I think Dr. Marcus took the Genesis device down there. Stepping into the transporter, they beamed down to the tiny planet. The group materialized in a cave deep inside Regula. There they found the scientists from the space lab and the Genesis device. Instantly, Terrell and Chekhov drew their phasers. Khan's voice crackled from their communicators. You lose, Admiral. These men are still my puppets. I'm taking Genesis, but first I'm going to have Mr. Chekhov kill you. But Chekhov desperately fought Khan's control. He threw down his phaser and fell unconscious. Dr. McCoy examined him and found the seti eel in his ear. With a shudder, he destroyed it. Khan's transporters snatched the Genesis device. Kirk grabbed his communicator. Khan, you missed again. I'm still alive. Khan growled back. Buried alive, Admiral. I'm going to destroy your ship. No one will ever find you. McCoy threw up his hands. Would someone please explain to me what the Genesis device is? Dr. Marcus led them all into a tremendous cavern full of trees and flowers. Genesis created this in a day. It turns dead rock into life forms. It could do the same to a planet, but everything already living on the planet would die. It would make a horrifying weapon. Kirk's communicator chirped. Moments later, Kirk was on board. Spock, what's our situation? We have partial power, but Khan can still outrun us and outshoot us. I see one chance. If we fly into the Mutara Nebula, Khan's shields and sensors won't work. With the Reliant chasing close behind, the Enterprise headed into the Nebula. The vast clouds of gas and dust blinded the two captains as they hunted each other. Suddenly, Kirk's view screen cleared. Reliance coming straight at us. Evasive starboard. The ships exchanged tremendous phaser blasts. The Enterprise was hit. Fire photon torpedoes. The torpedoes shot away and blasted into the Reliant, nearly ripping her apart. The Reliant hung dead in space, a battered hulk. Kirk had Uhura open a communications channel. Khan, surrender and prepare to be boarded. Khan, badly injured, crawled to the Genesis device. No, Kirk. The game's not over. To the last, I will grapple with thee. With his last strength, he armed the deadly machine. Spock checked his instruments. There's an unusual energy source on the Reliant. Admiral Kirk, he's armed the Genesis device. Kirk called the engine room. Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. Impossible, Admiral. The Energizer's shaken loose. There's a radiation leak and I can't get in to fix it. As the Enterprise limped slowly away from the Reliant, Spock leaped up and raced to engineering. Scotty stopped him as he started into the reactor room. No! The radiation is too strong! It will kill anyone who goes in there! Pushing Scotty aside, Spock rushed into the deadly room and began the necessary repairs. Kirk couldn't take his eyes away from the burning Reliant. We aren't going to make it. Status report, Mr. Chekhov. Admiral, main energy just came back online. Bless you. 
Go, Mr. Sulu! The Enterprise jumped to warp speed just as the Genesis device exploded. With a surge of power, the mighty starship left the explosion far behind. Dr. McCoy called the bridge. Jim, you'd better get down here. Hurry! When Kirk arrived in engineering, he found Spock in the reactor room, dying. Don't grieve, Jim. It's logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I have been, and always will be, your friend. Live long and prosper. Kirk could only stare helplessly through the glass as his friend fell. The casket containing Spock's body was shot into space. It landed on the new planet created by the explosion of the Genesis device. As the Enterprise pulled away toward home, Kirk gazed back at his friend's resting place. Dr. McCoy turned to him. You okay, Jim? How do you feel? Kirk thought about the new planet, bursting with new life and new possibilities. He smiled. Young. I feel young. Kids of the 70s and 80s are all grown up, but the good times of childhood don't have to end. Our generation can share the fun and fandom of our youth with the next generation and bring the past into the future. And wrap it all up to make a fantastic present. Join Jedi Schwar and Shaz Bazaar every Monday morning to get your work week started by reminiscing about the past and exploring the future with your earbuds on Techno Retro Dads. So find us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, or on TechnoRetroDads.com, part of the Shock Blast Digital Network. This is the story of the search for Spock. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the communicator beep like this. Let's begin now. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. After his battle with the criminal Khan, Admiral James Kirk and his crew brought the battle-scarred USS Enterprise back to Earth for repairs. Captain's personal log. We're nearly home, yet I'm uneasy. The ship feels empty since the death of my friend Mr. Spock. And ship surgeon McCoy has been acting strangely. At times he seems to believe that he is Spock. An alarm rang on Commander Chekhov's console. Admiral, this is impossible. Someone is inside Mr. Spock's sealed quarters. Kirk raced to investigate. He found McCoy crouched in the corner of the dark room, pleading for help. Take me home to Vulcan, Jim. Help me up the steps of Mount Salaya. Kirk shivered. McCoy was speaking with Mr. Spock's voice. At the same time, far out in space, Lord Krug, captain of a Klingon warship, conferred with his men. The Federation has a powerful new weapon they call the Genesis Machine. They've already used it to create a new planet, but it can also destroy whole worlds. We must go to the new planet and capture the secret of this weapon. Nothing must stop us! Meanwhile, from a ship in orbit, Jim Kirk's son, David Marcus, studied the new Genesis planet. His was a special interest, since he had helped build the machine that created the planet. Surprised by what his instruments showed, David turned to his half-Vulcan friend. Lieutenant Savick, I'm getting a life-form reading from the planet's surface, and there shouldn't be anything down there but rocks and plants. Savick frowned. We'd better beam down and investigate. When the pair materialized on the planet, David saw a black metal tube lying open on the ground nearby. That's Spock's casket. But his body, it's gone. A small earthquake shook the ground. Savick examined her tricorder. Readings indicate this planet is highly unstable. And the life form you detected is moving off in that direction. Let's go before it gets away. Kirk was still worried about Dr. McCoy when he received an unexpected visitor. 
Sarek, Mr. Spock's father. Kirk, you were with my son when he died. Surely he mind-melded with you. How could you, his friend, leave him on Genesis? Sarek, I swear he didn't mind-meld with me. But maybe he did with someone else. And if so, we can find out who it was from the flight recorder of the Enterprise. As the computer played back its recording, Kirk watched tensely, hoping. Remember. There it is. He mind-melded with Dr. McCoy. That explains why McCoy has been acting so strangely. Sarek turned to Kirk gravely. Knowing his body's end was near, my son placed his living spirit into McCoy's mind. You must bring both Spock's body and McCoy to Mount Solea on Vulcan. Only there can they both find peace. Kirk went to the commander of Starfleet. Admiral, I want to return to Genesis for Spock's body. He was my friend. McCoy is my friend. They're both in pain. I have to do this for them. Absolutely not, Jim. Genesis has thrown the galaxy into an uproar. Until things calm down, that planet is off limits. Kirk nodded, but as he left, he thought to himself, I'm going, even if I have to steal the Enterprise to do it. It began to snow as Savick and David closed in on the life form they were chasing. When they finally cornered it, Savick couldn't believe her eyes. David, it's a Vulcan boy. The child watched them like a wild animal, fearful and silent. David thought quickly, The Genesis machine. When it created this planet, it must have recreated Spock's body. Savick, this child is Spock. David eagerly examined his tricorder to confirm his discovery. Savick tried talking to the child in Vulcan. Ishvani, call me. But he didn't respond. He seems to have totally lost his memory. We'd better get him up to the ship's medic as soon as possible. She flipped open her communicator. Captain, this is Lieutenant Savick. Prepare to beam us up. Three of us. But before the Federation ship could beam them aboard, Lord Krug's warship appeared from behind its cloaking device. Without warning, a photon torpedo shot from the Klingon ship and blasted the other vessel out of the sky. David was horrified. Savik, what do we do now? Our only way home has been destroyed. and McCoy, with the help of Scott, Chekhov, Uhura, and Sulu, sneaked aboard the empty Enterprise and started her powerful engines. As the ship pulled away from Earth orbit, the angry voice of the Starfleet commander came over the communication channel. Kirk, I order you to surrender that vessel at once. Kirk glanced at Chekhov. No reply. Best speed to Genesis. On Genesis, Savick and David found a cave where they could hide from the searching Klingons and care for Spock. Worried by the constant earthquakes, David took readings with his tricorder. Savick, this planet is aging at an incredible rate. If nothing changes, it will self-destruct within days. Spock is aging quickly too. His body is becoming that of a man, but his mind is still a blank. The next morning, as the little group left the cave to find another hiding place, they ran straight into the heavily armed Klingon landing party. Lord Krug glowered at Savick. You will tell me the secret of the Genesis machine. Ralph! Just then his communicator beeped. My Lord Krug, you must beam up. A Federation starship is approaching. Hidden by its cloaking device, the Klingon ship lay in wait. As the Enterprise entered orbit, Kirk noticed something on his view screen. That blurry patch. A Klingon cloaking device. Scotty, shield up! But it was too late. A Klingon photon torpedo blasted into the Enterprise, destroying her automated controls. Scotty pounded on his useless panel. Captain, we've got no control of our weapons or engines. We're helpless. Krug's face appeared on the view screen. I have three prisoners from your Genesis team. 
Surrender immediately or they'll be executed! Kirk tried to stall, but Krug cut him off with an order to his men on Genesis. Kill one of them! The senior guard drew a dagger. David jumped him and tried to wrestle the knife away. The Klingon freed his arm and plunged the dagger into David's chest. As the young hero fell, Kirk shouted at Krug. You Klingon monster! You've killed my son. Kirk knew he had to surrender his ship, but he wasn't going to give her away without fighting back. Sulu, prepare to beam us down. Scotty, Chekhov, help me set the computer. Scott frowned. Set it for what, sir? To destroy the Enterprise. When Krug's men arrived, the Enterprise was empty and silent. All they heard was a computer voice counting quietly down to zero. And then, a tremendous explosion. Kirk and the others watched wordlessly as their ship fell from the heavens. Kirk blinked hard to hold back the tears. Bones, she was our home for 20 years. What have I done? McCoy squeezed his friend's shoulder. You did what you had to do. You turned death into a fighting chance to live. Kirk turned away sadly. Come on, let's go find Spock. Their tricorders led them over the quaking ground to the Klingon camp. Kirk stunned the guards with a phaser blast, then caught sight of David's body. He went and kneeled by him. My son, both heaven and earth friend thee forever. I've lost Spock, my ship, now you. Savick came and knelt by him. We've both lost much, Admiral. But you must know, Spock is alive. Kirk ran to where McCoy leaned over Spock, examining him. He's alive, Jim, but aging rapidly. We've got to get him off this planet or he'll die again. Drop your weapons! It was Krug, holding a deadly phaser on them. He barked into his communicator. Maltz, beam up the prisoners, all but Kirk. I have a score to settle with him. After the others vanished, Krug growled at Kirk. Give me the secret of Genesis, or we both die with this planet! Just then, the Earth shook violently. Krug lost his footing, and Kirk leaped on him. The two wrestled for control of the phaser. Krug dazed Kirk with a vicious punch and aimed the phaser at him. Just then, a huge crack opened under his feet. Screaming curses, he fell to his death. Imitating Krug's voice, Kirk barked into his communicator. Maltz, beam me up! When Kirk appeared on the Klingon ship, his phaser was already pointed at Maltz. Now, you're our prisoner. Scotty, Sulu, Chekhov, set course for Vulcan. The planet is falling apart. We've got to get out of here fast. The ship shot away into space. Kirk gazed back at Genesis as it fell into its sun and vanished. Goodbye, David. Sarak met them when they landed on Vulcan. The High Priestess is ready to try to rejoin Spock's body and spirit. Dr. McCoy, please follow us into the temple. Kirk and his crew had to wait outside as the ritual went on through the long night. Then, at dawn, the chanting stopped. With McCoy's help, Spock emerged from the temple. He faced Kirk hesitantly. My father says you have been my friend, but I'm afraid I don't remember. Spock's friends were crestfallen. They had come through so much, only for this? Kirk tried to help. You saved the ship, Spock. You saved us all. Don't you remember? I'm sorry. I can't. Spock started sadly away. Helplessly, Kirk called after him. I have been, and ever shall be, your friend. Spock turned and gazed hard at Kirk. Then a gentle light filled his eyes. Jim. Your name is... Jim. Kirk smiled joyously. Yes, Spock. My name is Jim.
C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. The Disney Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. This is the story of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the communicator beep like this. Let's begin now. Deep in space, the captain of the starship Saratoga sent an urgent message to Starfleet Command. We are tracking an enormous probe of unknown origin on a course for Earth. Please advise. Suddenly, strange sound waves from the probe engulf the starship. The captain leaped up. Red alert! Shields up, Lieutenant! It was too late. The ship's power systems failed, and the mysterious probe sailed away toward Earth. Meanwhile, on the planet Vulcan, Admiral James T. Kirk made an entry in his log. Stardate 8390. This is the third month of our Vulcan exile. We are uncertain about the progress of Mr. Spock's memory training. We know a court-martial awaits us for our actions in his rescue, but let the record show that the commander and crew of the late starship Enterprise have voted to return to Earth. We are prepared to face the charges leveled against us. During Spock's rescue, Kirk and his crew had captured a Klingon warship, which they renamed the Bounty. Now, Admiral Kirk mounted the bridge. Mr. Scott, how soon can we get underway? One more day, sir. Repairing her is easy. Reading Klingon is hard. Dr. McCoy took the Admiral aside. Being court-martialed is bad enough, Jim. But do we have to go home in this Klingon flea trap? We could learn a thing or two from this flea trap, Bones. Besides, it has a cloaking device that might come in handy. The next day, the bounty began its voyage home. As Spock resumed his post at the science officer's console, Dr. McCoy leaned over to Kirk. Are you sure he's ready for this? He's not exactly back to his old form yet. Don't worry, Bones. It'll come back to him. Commander Uhura looked up from her console. Admiral, I'm receiving a distress signal from Earth. Put it on the screen, Uhura. A garbled image of the Starfleet president appeared on the bridge view screen. Warning to all starships. Do not approach Earth. Mysterious probe orbiting. Emits powerful sound waves directed at oceans. Clouds enveloping planet. Temperatures dropping. Planet cannot survive. Admiral Kirk whirled around. Uhura, let us hear the probe. Coming up on speakers, sir. Spock lifted an eyebrow. Most unusual. An unknown form of energy showing great intelligence and directed at the Earth's oceans. Uhura modify the probe's signals to simulate what they would sound like underwater. The altered signal echoed through the ship. Fascinating. As I suspected, Admiral, it is the song sung by humpback whales. They have been extinct since the 21st century. To communicate with the probe, 
We must find a humpback whale. Admiral Kirk leaped to his feet. If we slingshot around the sun and go back in time, we may have a chance. We did it before with the Enterprise. Spock, start your computations for time warp. Dr. McCoy shook his head. The Enterprise was a first-class starship. You can't take this rust bucket back through time. Do you know another way to find an extinct whale, Doctor? The engines roared and the bounty streaked toward the sun. Warp speed three, warp five, warp seven. The ship sped faster and faster. At the last possible moment, Admiral Kirk gave the order. Now, Mr. Sulu. The helmsman fired the final set of accelerators and the bounty whipped along the edge of the sun, straining against the tremendous gravity. It came around the far side, snapped free from the pull of the sun and hurtled back toward Earth. Mr. Spock pointed to the view screen. I believe we have arrived at the late 20th century. I am receiving and homing in on a strong whale song signal. Kirk ordered the bounty to descend from orbit under cover of the cloaking device. Spock was puzzled. There seem to be two whales trapped in shallow water. Their signal is coming from the city of San Francisco. As the invisible bounty landed quietly in Golden Gate Park, Chief Engineer Scott discovered a problem. Admiral, our dilithium crystals are giving out. We have only enough power to last about 24 hours. We'll need to find a source of high-energy photons to restore the crystals, or we'll never get back off the ground. Kirk split the crew into teams. Commanders Chekhov and Uhura are assigned to the high-energy photon problem. Mr. Scott, you'll need to build a holding tank big enough for two whales to make the trip back with us. Dr. McCoy and Commander Sulu will assist you. Captain Spock and I will attempt to trace the whale songs to their source. Be careful. And everyone, remember where we parked. The teams hurried into San Francisco. Kirk and Spock hadn't gone far when the Admiral spotted an ad on the side of a bus. See George and Gracie, the only two humpback whales in captivity at the Cetacean Institute Sausalito. Come on, Spock. I think we've found what we're looking for. Taylor, after explaining the life cycle of whales, she led everyone outside. If you'll follow me, I'll introduce you to the Institute's pride and joy. She took the group to an enormous seawater tank. Meet George and Gracie. Beautiful, aren't they? Gracie. Beautiful, aren't they? Spock slipped away unnoticed from the group as Dr. Taylor continued. Unfortunately, these whales are outgrowing our ability to care for them and will soon be returned to the sea. Admiral Kirk spoke up. Why is that unfortunate? The chances are still very high they'll be hunted by whalers. At that moment, Dr. Taylor looked at the tank. Inside, swimming next to the whales, was Spock. His hands were on the side of George's head in a Vulcan mind meld. Dr. Taylor raced to the tank with Kirk close behind her and confronted Spock. Okay, Buster, what do you think you're doing? Spock emerged from the tank. Attempting to communicate, Doctor. She pointed to the exit. You two kooks, get out of here! Later, while Kirk and Spock were walking back to town, Dr. Taylor pulled up in her pickup truck. You may be kooks, but it's a long walk back to the city, and I've always had a soft spot for the underdog. Hop in. As they drove to town, Kirk turned to her. What if I told you we can take George and Gracie to a place where they'll never be hunted? Would you be interested in helping us? Of course, if it were true. Tell us, Doctor. Can we track the whales once they're released? Sure. They'll be equipped with transmitters. But I'm not telling you any more unless I get some straight answers. Who are you guys? Kurt knew he would have to take a chance. I'll tell you the truth. I know this will be hard for you to believe, but my name is Admiral Kirk. We come from your future, the 23rd century. Dr. Taylor pulled into Golden Gate Park. You're right. I don't believe you. This is your stop, Admiral. All ashore. Although Spock got out immediately, 
Kirk lingered for a moment. If you change your mind about helping, Doctor, we'll be here. She drove away, and her passengers beamed aboard the bounty. Inside, Scotty gave Kirk a status report. The whale tank is almost complete, sir. And the high-energy photons that Chekhov and Uhura brought back should have us up to full power in a few hours. By morning, the bounty and her crew were ready. Uhura pointed to the view screen. Admiral, look outside the ship. Kirk! Kirk, are you there? Dr. Taylor stood in the park. Kirk quickly beamed her aboard, and she looked around, astonished. It's true. You're from the future. So maybe you can help. George and Gracie were shipped to the Arctic, and the whalers are already closing in on them. I want to help you find them, Admiral. Welcome aboard, Doctor. Mr. Sulu, take us north. In a few minutes, the crew heard a faint whale song. Jillian gestured to Scotty. That's it! That's it! As the ship broke through the clouds, a whaling vessel closed in on George and Gracie. When the harpoon cannon fired, Kirk quickly reacted. Dive, Mr. Sulu! The invisible bounty rushed between the whales and the hunters. The harpoon clanked off the bounty and fell harmlessly into the sea. While the stunned whalers watched, Scotty beamed George and Gracie on board, and the ship zoomed off. On the bridge, McCoy approached Kirk and Jillian. Dr. Taylor, I'm afraid it's time for you to get off. We're headed back to the 23rd century. Those whales are my whole life. I'm going with you. Kirk turned to his science officer. Mr. Spock, you heard the lady. Begin reverse time warp maneuver. The bridge shook wildly as the bounty rushed around the sun. With a final burst, the ship snapped free and roared back toward Earth. Mr. Spock turned to Kirk. Reverse time warp maneuver complete, but the added weight of the whales has used up all the ship's power. The bounty hurtled out of control and plunged past the Golden Gate Bridge into the Pacific Ocean. Kirk sprang into action. Mr. Spock, evacuate the crew! I'm going to release George and Gracie. With Scotty behind him, he raced down to the cargo bay and saw water gushing in. Oh no, they're trapped. Although Scotty tried to stop him, Kirk dove in and pushed the emergency release. The bay doors exploded open, sweeping Kirk and the whales into the sea. George swam away from the ship and then hung motionless just below the surface. His whale song called out to the orbiting probe. There was an answer, and the probe quietly sailed away. No one but George and Gracie knew what it had said. At the court-martial several days afterward, the Starfleet president addressed Kirk and his crew. Kirk, because you disobeyed a superior officer, you will be reduced in rank to captain. However, your actions during the probe crisis are to be commended. Because of this, all charges are being dropped. Later, as they approached the space dock, they were amazed to see the ship assigned to them, a gleaming new USS Enterprise. Captain Kirk turned to his crew. My friends, we've come home. lot better than you would have enjoyed listening to my voice for very long i uh, just want to thank you for downloading this week and invite you to come back to the neverland podcast when i'll have my voice back and we'll have a bit more fulfilling show than this but uh, hopefully you did enjoy this and this was a fitting tribute to for leonard nimoy uh, as we will enjoy his contributions both to disney and to the world with star trek as bringing mr spock to life and also singing that fun song about bilbo baggins which i did play for you last week at the very tail end of the show uh, but come back next week, and I, I hope to have my voice back. And uh, until then, keep that fix in your pocket and your good attitude, because keeping a good attitude 
can even help you get through some really miserable sickness. <laughs> Goodbye now and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blueberry. We love to hear from you on Twitter.com slash NeverlandPcast and Facebook.com slash NeverlandPodcast. Leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492 and send email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. Join us next week and we'll once again go to Disney and beyond. The Neverland Podcast is copyright glue band productions and all original content belongs to the same. Other content is copyright of their respective creators and is used under Creative Commons license. <laughs>